listeners, I'm Joni B. Cole, host of Author Can I Ask You? For people like me who love books and the stories behind the books, this show gives me the chance to ask authors about what they write and why they write. Plus, I like to throw in a few odd questions just to get to know each author a little bit better as a person. Let's get started and meet today's guest. Today, I welcome poet Kevin Gooden. Kevin's first poetry collection, In the Ghost House Acquainted, won the Penn New England Award in 2005. Since then, he's gone on to publish five more full-length poetry collections, including his new release, Spot Weather Forecast. This last collection viscerally captures Kevin's past experience as an elite firefighter for the U.S. Forest Service. In a starred review, Publishers Weekly describes the book this way. Gooden takes the reader to hell and back in this electrifying collection. Kevin, welcome to Author Can I Ask You? And I can't believe I'm saying this, but thank you for taking me to hell and back. (laughs) Well, thank you for having me on. And hopefully the trip was nice. (laughs) Nice isn't the word, but maybe remarkable. I cannot imagine anyone else who could write about flames and the toll of firefighting as vividly and powerfully as you do in spot weather forecast. It's been aptly described as an elegy for the self and the damage one sustains fighting wildfires. Kevin, can you give us some backstory why you revisited your own past experience as a hotshot crew member and you used it for this newest work? Sure. So I ran into the work of a visual artist by the name of Adam Ottavi in 2012. And Adam Atavi uh, was taking wet plate collodion photographs of burned landscapes in Alaska. And his images struck me. And so we got into uh, contact with each other and we decided to start working on a project where he would send me one of the images that he made. And then I would write not in an ekphrastic way, but just in a response to the image. And uh, we ended up doing a opening at a gallery in Homer, Alaska, where we placed the images that he created next to the pieces that I wrote in response. And it created a very haunting experience for the townspeople. And most of the townspeople showed up. There were like 200 people at the art opening. And um, it was amazing. And Adam uh, decided to move on to other things in his life. And so I had these poems sitting there and I was in the midst of reliving that time and I felt the urge to keep moving forward. So I did. Can you explain to listeners what spot weather forecast means and why you chose that as an apt title for the work? Sure. Uh, So a spot weather forecast is in the firefighting world. It's um, you call in for your specific latitude and longitude to the weather service, and they will take into consideration weather fronts, what is happening in the air, but also they will take into consideration your specific topography and they will send you a forecast for that specific spot. So for firefighting, this is very important. Uh, Firefighters rely upon a spot weather forecast to let them know what's going to happen. So you rely heavily on it. And there's been a few times where people have lost their lives because the spot weather forecast was wrong. 
You were such a young man when you decided to be a firefighter. You were only 18. What motivated you or prompted you towards this life-threatening work? Um, when I grew up, my stepfather, who's a tribal member of the Flathead Reservation, he fought fires and I was kind of a scrawny kid. <laughs> and he said I'd never be strong enough to fight fires. So I decided that I would prove him wrong. And I would prove him wrong in such a way that there would be absolutely no denying the fact that I could fight fires. And so I was able to be chosen for a hotshot crew and I proved myself. This might be a weird question, but did you like the work or how did you find it fulfilling, given that it can be such a dangerous vocation? Well, that's a good question. I loved the work. My first fire was in 1988, and it was the Canyon Creek Fire. Everyone has heard of the fire in Yellowstone. Everyone has paid attention to that. But the Canyon Creek Fire was actually uh, much more volatile and larger. And so immediately I got to experience extreme fire behavior and fire weather. And I was amazed at what fire does to a landscape under those conditions. And I felt that my body had an aptitude for fighting fires. I could hike. I could dig fire line. It felt great to do that. Um, I seemed to have the mental capacity to make correct judgments in high stress situations, something that I did not know as a teenager. Yeah, it formed me and there were difficult things about it. But on the whole, I loved it. And it was something that not everyone could do. And you proved your stepfather wrong. <laughs> I did. You know, I've gone on to do other things like be a professor and so on. But the thing that he introduces me as to other people is as a hotshot. <laughs> so it, it doesn't matter that I was a professor and that I engaged in intellectual endeavors. Being a hotshot was the most important thing to him. Before we go further, I should say that this collection, Spot Weather Forecast, is indeed a collection of poems, but it reads as almost one extended piece. And in the book, Kevin, you include quotes from fire incident reports, and you offer the names of different pieces of equipment and safety gear. I was wondering, creatively speaking, how do you think those insertions contributed to your goal for this collection? I wanted the reader to have an understanding of that world because the language generally is very job specific. And I found that before seeing Adam Otavi's images, that the language was kind of stuck inside and there wasn't a means to bring it out. And I, I think veterans of our long wars have mentioned something similar. It's hard for people outside of that situation to understand it. And I wanted to bring as much knowledge to the outside world as I could so that maybe there could be some understanding amongst readers of what can happen and how things, you know, the tactics, the techniques, the tools that are used and what sometimes can go wrong dealing with fire. Kevin, I would love for you to read from the collection, any section or place that you would care to share. Okay, I will read page four. The pieces are untitled, which also helps to build kind of a, a narrative arc to the book. Most believe flames are greedy, indiscriminate, consume what lies in their path. Flames choose what feeds them. This drainage, not that. This house, but not others around it. This body crowned in fire while the rest are taken bit by bit. 
At night, we dream the ignition, all the homonyms of action, the wrinkled air holding for a moment what used to be, gated wise, a king radio melting between coordinates to safety, a buckle, scrap of belt, a few threads of canvas where the packs get it along, strip of boot, a glove. The unconsumed and the unconceived, are we not inheritors of ash, the colors of now, the land in its rending? That which is brittle has ruptured, cracked, germinated, taken root in us. Have these not blurred the haunting? Horsemen, horsemen, I hear you near. The sound, blades dig through rock, this body, the others. Your language truly does have a visceral effect on the reader, certainly on this reader. Thank you. You know, in one description of the book, it talks about how your commanding language evokes, quote, disaster and destruction. I would argue that in your previous collection, the one that came out before this book, Anaphora, that you also confront a different kind of disaster and destruction, which is the death of your cousin, Jimmy, when he was quite young. And he was a young man who chose to hang himself in reaction to the realization that he was gay. When I read that collection, I also felt almost like it was a physical blow. What gave you the fortitude, Kevin, to go back there to confront what had to have been such a painful subject for you and your family? Uh, Jimmy, he was the one that made me go back and re-engage that. Um, I wasn't really writing this, to be honest. I was just translating Anaphora. It was Jimmy who was writing. And I, I think part of writing that book was that Jimmy didn't, I don't think he wanted to leave, to mm. be honest. And he uh. he felt no other other alternative than what he chose. And um, I think the book... Anaphora is a way of Jimmy staying in the world. And so I had no other, I, I couldn't not write it. Um, I, I was forced to write it. Hmm. I think this review of Anaphora is so apt. It was in the literary journal Plowshares. They wrote, what is most remarkable about Anaphora is that it seems to have invented an almost entirely new way of processing trauma through art, as if the reader had been handed a thousand shards and must reconstruct an experience, a life from its fragments. And when I read that review, I'd already read the collection and I thought that is so true. It's just a remarkable book. Kevin, I have to say that you have one of the most varied backstories for any poet, at least that I know. You were born in Montana and you are white, but as you mentioned, you were raised on an Indian reservation with your Native American family. And we've already noted you've been an elite firefighter. And I understand you lived in Ireland and in other places. And then you've come east and worked on a small farm. And then along the way, you got your MFA and you become a university professor. All this to say that when you were little, did you know what you wanted to be when you grew up? Or could you have ever envisioned this trajectory for your life to date? <laughs> well, interestingly enough, um, when I was, oh, you know, like five, six and seven, what I wanted to be was a firefighter, but I also wanted to be a professor. <laughs> 
so I, I have fulfilled my life's dreams in those regards. It seems somewhat frenetic here and there, but it feels good. Yeah. Well, you are this guy who's done the hard physical labor of firefighting and of farming. I'm correct, right? That you did for a while work on a farm, a small farm? I did, yes. And I've also worked in slaughterhouses and sawmills and things. So usually the jobs that people don't want to do, I ended up doing them for some reason. Yeah, like being a poet. (laughs) Yeah, well, there you go. (laughs) So you have done this hard physical labor in this diversity of jobs. And you also, of course, work in academia and in English departments. And it made me wonder, what type of life experience do you think inspires you more as a poet? Well, I think that fighting fires prepared me for the classroom. (laughs) You're going to have to help me out with that one. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) It showed what I was capable of doing. It, It showed me the edges of what was possible fighting forest fires, which meant that going into the classroom and standing in front of students, which is a great fear of mine. I wouldn't say reclusive, but uh, I tend to be out in the woods when I'm not teaching. But every time that I've had awkward moments teaching where I've lost my train of thought or a student has created an interesting situation, I think back to when I fought fires and I would tell myself, well, is this as difficult as fighting fires? No. So... (laughs) It's easier to engage teaching because I have those other experiences. And it's not that teaching is easy either. It's, it's a difficult undertaking. But um, I think, well, okay, so is this as bad as having food poisoning and still having to dig fireline? No, no, this is a little better than that. Okay, then we can move forward and things will be fine. Imagine if you had food poisoning standing in front of a class of undergrads. Oh, my gosh. I would be absolutely beside myself. You know, Kevin, you got your MFA from a program for poets and writers that was at the University of Massachusetts at Amherst. What is the best thing that you took away from that experience in your MFA program? One, it was a three-year program, which was important. The most important thing was time. Mm. Time to focus on writing and not making any excuses about it, and seeing if one has the persistence to keep moving forward. The other thing that was really important was uh, the community that was created via workshops and other classes that one has to take. That being said, one can create a community outside of a graduate program. You can create a community in your town and get as much good feedback from many diverse readers on your work as one does in a workshop. I appreciate you saying that about how you can forge your own community anywhere. And that's been part of my life's work is to create community workshops right in our town, White River Junction. I appreciate you acknowledging that. When did you know you did have what it takes to call yourself a poet, to take the risk of committing words to page? Well, I've always been tinkering with language, even when I was fighting fires. But even before that, I think my mother still has a story that I wrote when I was, oh, must have been eight or nine. And, you know, it was one of those archetypal things where the prince goes off and leaves his family and goes out into the world and has experiences and then comes back as a pauper and 
overthrows the king and becomes king. So uh, she probably kept that just in case something bad happened. So she could say he was always a bad boy. But <laughs> um, so I've <laughs> I've always felt compelled to try and write down or experience through language what I was experiencing in the world around me. I would say that I always tend to shy away from the P word, and I usually just say that I write poetry. But sometimes it's good to name oneself what oneself is also. Mm. That's great food for thought. I'm going to be thinking about that for a long time. Is it better to think of yourself as a writer or to be someone who writes? For me, it's something that's worked. I've always kind of had to hide the fact that I was writing from my family. So by skirting around the P word <laughs> um, <laughs> allowed me to tell them, well, you know, I'm studying English and I'm going to be an English professor. And then I didn't have to tell them that I was in an MFA program studying poetry. Do you feel like you still have to keep it on the QT a little bit, even after six collections? <laughs> Shh, don't tell anybody. <laughs> um it's not the first thing that I mention about myself if somebody asks what I do. So it's kind of my little secret. Even if everybody's in on it, it's still my little secret in my head. Well, I can appreciate that. Because the next question, if you say you're a poet, is, oh, have you written anything I've read? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then, of course, are you able to make money at that? Or, oh, would you like to read my poems? <laughs> <laughs> yes. You know, when people offer me a poem to read. I take it seriously. I, I read what they've given me and I think about it and I try and give a very honest, meaningful answer about the piece that they've handed me. That's lovely to dignify their work. I really, I really appreciate you saying that and valuing their work. Yeah. It's a hard thing to do, um, to write. And also it's just even, you know, for myself, handing someone a poem and asking what they think that takes that takes a lot for people to do that and i think you have to respect that that boldness to to be able to do that and be honest about your response yeah it's right up there with teaching undergrads and fighting fires yeah yeah to share your nascent work it takes a lot of courage it really does well, Kevin, I'm going to put you on the spot. Okay. And I have one last question, which is, if you were to write a six-word memoir, what would it be? Uh, does it have to be correct syntax or <laughs> anything like that? No, absolutely not. Okay. Um, how about fire burning brightly I am fire there we go could you state it again fire burning brightly I am fire you know your memoir strikes me similarly to the way some of your poems in your collection did they suddenly go somewhere else <laughs> They almost drop like a trap door open into a really deeper thought. And that's exactly what your on-the-spot six-word memoir did for me. Oh, thank you. I was just trying to be coherent. <laughs> well, I think it was a perfect six-word memoir. And you nailed six words. 
I might be okay with words, but I, I can't count for shit. So <laughs> that's great that I got six. You get bonus points for that. <laughs> well, you also get bonus points for being on my podcast because I imagine with your book just out that you've been getting a lot of requests. Spot weather forecast truly is a must read. And I hope that the word spreads like a wildfire. I really, I really appreciate this time, Kevin. Thank you. Me too. This is wonderful. Listeners, if you would like to learn more about Kevin Gooden's latest collection, Spot Weather Forecast, or his earlier acclaimed books, please visit kevingooden.com. So that's it for this episode of Author, Can I Ask You? Thanks, everybody, for listening. And if you like what you heard, please spread the word and visit me on my website, JoniBCole.com. In the meantime, take care, act civil, and don't be afraid to ask the odd questions.